0: escape. Are you ready?
1: Are you ready to escape your mind?
0: Right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 302 tonight. Uh, I am joined by guests Leslie and Stephen Shaw. They are the authors of the book, Who They Are. I do have the link down below at the bottom. They're also on Instagram if you want to check out their Instagram page. And um, the topic tonight is going to be UFO sightings and experiences. And uh, you know, we're just going to riff off that. Uh, Their book is about their experiences as well as other stuff and their own theories and everything. Uh, But like I said, go check that out. I have not checked it out yet. I look forward to doing so myself here soon when I finish the three books I'm reading right now. Um, So, uh, but yeah, we're just going to be riffing on the UFO stuff. And if you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do that is just to click the Linktree link down below um, or check out our documentary. Um, I've been trying to get that around again lately uh it's called as within so without from ufos to dmt and it looks at the connection between the consciousness aspect of the phenomenon and altered states of consciousness so um yeah i'm really looking forward to this conversation welcome on mind escape stephen and leslie hi Good,
1: good evening thanks for having us mike
0: No problem. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't make it happen. I know you sent me a nice message on Instagram and we went back and forth, but we're finally we're here and uh, here we are. Yeah. So um, I haven't done a UFO episode uh, for a while, so I'm looking forward to this. I love hearing about people's experiences and weird encounters and things like that. So um, I don't know where you want to start, but um, if you want to give me like a little bit of a background on each of you and then we can get into the UFO stuff.
1: Sure. Uh, we're, we, um, I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for the last uh, 18 years. I still work part-time for the paper and mostly doing copy editing and page layout. Now uh, I still write the occasional story for them. Um, I am uh, also an artist and um, have a degree in animation. Uh, Steven is a, a retired acupuncturist and Tai Chi teacher uh, who is uh, currently an orchestral musician.
2: Yeah, I did six years in the military with the uh, Navy CBs from 80 to 86
1: and, you know, wore many different hats. Yeah, we were both UFO witnesses. Um, Stephen has seen five and um, his last two he saw with me there and those were my only two. Um, And then, uh, but the... The phenomenon began in his family with um, at about age three, except, well, we think it it also went back a few generations. Steve, it comes from an incredibly psychic family. And um, for three generations, they were doing um, automatic writing and getting messages from the family spirit guy to old Glegley. But uh, when the kids, when the, uh, the family moved, his immediate family, his parents moved uh, from right. England to California, and um, the uh, the phenomenon t- uh, seemed to follow them it doesn't uh it's not anchored to any one place but followed the family out to california
2: it started really in germany from the uh, the newman families the, the germans and then they uh uh they they were the, the you know my great grandparents and then my parents grew up uh, the roe family in in england during wartime england so the you know my mom and dad went through as children they went through being bombed in Manchester and Oldham during the war and then they moved over to California in 1956 and we've been in these six different houses and this phenomena has followed me through uh, six different homes that we've lived in even one that we built because I was a, a cabinet maker and a carpenter for a number of years so. It's, it's just followed myself and my brother and definitely my mother. And it really started affecting me when I was three years of age. I used to have this, this invisible being would visit me in the middle of the night and would literally jump on my, my chest and my, uh, and my stomach and kind of in a playful way. And being, as I was told from being a little, a little child, that we had this family spirit guy called Oglegley that would visit people from time to time, I just thought, well, this is just, you know, I'm three years old. So I thought, okay, that's like a normal thing for us. So (laughs) fast forwarding to when I was like nine or 10, I was at that point sleeping in a bunk bed on the top bunk. And my brother was on the bottom bunk. My brother was six years years younger than me. So he would have been three or four. And I was awakened by this strange sound that I, I couldn't recognize. I could tell it wasn't the dog that we had. And so I got out of the bed and I started walking down the hall and my heart was pounding and I was breathing heavy because I was actually literally scared. And I was walking down and I was about ready to turn into the living room to the right. And I just black out. I can't remember what happened after that. The only thing I remember is a couple hours later, I was back in my bunk bed and I was just fine. I was like relaxed and all that during this time period when my brother turned about six or seven years of age he started sleeping in the closet and i said no philip why are you sleeping in the closet he said well i'm scared of the little men that come at night i said okay and i i had actually kind of seen little men once when i was really young too Uh, they look kind of like dwarves or kind of like elves uh, like gnomes to me actually but so he was afraid of these little men that would visit him in the middle of the night and again and this is something that when you're growing up as a kid, you don't really talk about this kind of stuff with your friends. They would think, you know, you're making it up or you're weird or your house is haunted or something like that. It's something that we kept in the family.
1: And then uh, chronologically, about, about the same time uh, you saw your first UFO, too.
2: Yeah, about the same time, too, I saw my first UFO. I think it was 1971. It was the uh, very large uh, orange uh, globe. Literally that was moving from south to north and this is about nine thirty at night. Woodland Hills, California. Woodland Hills, California. It was I was looking east, but it was moving from south to north. And I called Griffiths Park observatory the next day and asked them about if they'd seen anything. They said, you know, you know, young man, we don't have our telescope uh pointed in that direction so we did yeah they're pointed up <laughs> during this whole time period in the woodland hills tarzana area there were actually multiple sightings which mm-hmm. are documented one that happened at a uh, at a drive-in theater as a ma- matter of fact in the 70s that was was seen by quite a number of people that isn't widely known but it was kind of because you know a rocket dime was not that far away it was like in our backyard mm-hmm. practically so and
1: was, malibu was just over the mountain um, malibu's just over which the is mountain, also a hot of ufo miles,
2: activity so. So anyways, the fascinating stuff that happened was when I was 18, which was January of 1979. This was witnessed by my dad, my sister, myself, and actually my brother and my mom, even though they were in a different house that we were building up in in the woods of Sonora, California, which is 350 miles away from Woodland Hills. So the first night, my dad woke up in the morning and told me, you know, Stephen, my closet doors opened and closed on me during the night. i i thought to myself oh okay dad you must be imagining things my i I didn't think too much of it right so the next night i gave a a little a booklet by paramahansa yogananda called metaphysical meditations that i had been reading because i was just starting to study tai chi and i was very much into into paramahansa's work and i gave him this little book to read and i thought he might be fascinated by it so about half an hour later he came into my room and said with his puzzled look on his face he said i must be hearing things i'm hearing a silver bell i said okay Uh, myself being a musician i know exactly what a silver bell sounds like so i went into the living room and sure enough there's a silver bell being rung inside the two by four wall next to the chimney and my dad and i look at each other you know (laughs) my dad no-nonsense guy and he said well we must be hearing things so we got my sister who was, uh, you see, I was 18, so she was 13 at the time. And sure enough, she said, that's a silver bell. (laughs) And so we thought, you know, is it a squirrel on the wall? Is it like, are we hearing things? We banged on the wall and looked up the chimney, went on for about 10 minutes or so, and then it stopped. The next day, we called my mom, who was living at the house we were building up in Sonora, California, and she swore, she said, you know we told her about the silver bell and what and time she, it and what place. time it was she, she, you know i got a call a phone call at that time i heard this ringing and i picked it up and there was a voice on the other line saying i am the invisible on beachy or something like that now my brother had bit my brother was in the room at the time with my mom and he said that said Stephen, the phone never rang you know i didn't hear the phone ring but my mom heard the phone ring and she picked up the phone and was experiencing basically the same thing that we were experiencing, 350 miles apart. Okay, that's kind of weird, right? So the next night, I was awakened in my bedroom by this weird whizzing sound, kind of like a whoosh, whoosh, whoosh sound in the air. And there's a little light on the kitchen, so I could kind of turn over and, and look down the hallway. And there was, I thought, is it a bug? Is it, you know, is a fan on or something like that? I went back, tried to go back to sleep, and uh, then my bed is pushed two distinct shoves from the base of the bed. It's like push, push, kind of gently. Now, growing up in California, Southern California, I thought, well, maybe it's a little earthquake. Trying to make sense out of it, right? And then I, I continue to try and go back to sleep, and then it pushes harder. And then at the third time, it pushes, shoves even harder. At this point, I'm scared, and I'm annoyed. And then I get three distinct taps on my right lower shoulder, kinda my deltoid area, go like tap, index tap, finger tap, like pointing. an index finger tapping. At this point, I'm really scared, but I'm also really kind of pissed off. Okay. <laughs> and I I, I I rolled over quickly and I said, what? You know, and I was expecting to see something, you know, the family spirit guide or whatever it was.
1: And then I black out again. But he felt a presence, even though he couldn't see anyone. He sort of felt a presence. Oh, there's definitely
2: a presence there.
1: And then right then blacked out. um, Now,
2: Now, the next night, next night, I did not want to sleep in that room, so I didn't. So I decided to go to sleep on the couch in the living room. I just wore my clothes, my work clothes from the day before. And I awoke about 530 in the morning. It was dark because January in Southern California, so it was dark. And I looked at my piano, my upright piano, and I thought about what music I was going to play that day. And I listened to the little fountain in the other room, and I was fully awake, fully cognizant, felt very relaxed, but I was fully awake. And from behind me, it was like this entity was waiting for me to wake up. And this tall blue-white being, about six to seven feet, slender, walked but kind of glided it wasn't like it was walking, but it was like it was upright, but it kind of like glided within about a second or two. stopped by my right hand side. It paralyzed the right side of my nervous system and the from my room, head.
1: Don't forget the room. Was right right. With the, yeah, the
2: whole room, also too, when it came in, the whole room was filled with this intense blue white light it was like it just the whole room was just filled with this blue white light
1: like it was an electric being somehow Some, you know?
2: something like that right so it stopped paralyzed the right side of my body I could not do a thing for my right side of my body and I was thinking oh I'm going to get to see the family spirit guide I've heard about since being a kid I'm going to actually see what he looks like and but the other part of my body was saying dude you can't move you're paralyzed <laughs> so I'm, I'm half I'm half really excited. But the other half of me is like, I can't move. (laughs) And it, it bent down to my ear and it said, hi, Steve. And it was, I couldn't tell whether it was a male voice or a female voice, but it was not in my head. It was actually external, coming from external. There was a being there and. That went on for a number of seconds. I can't remember how long, but it seemed like about maybe 10 or 15 seconds where I was immobilized. And then it left the house. And I can't remember to this day whether I actually told my dad or my sister, but I I know that six hours later, when it was 1130, I was getting ready to get some lunch for my dad and I. And I reached into my right hand side pocket to find out what kind of money I had and i pulled out the coins they had just standard american coins and all the coins were sticking to each other i mean not like sticky glue but just like they were, magnetized. they were
1: magnetized i had
2: both nails in my pocket and i also had like about five or six coins i could pick up all the coins and so could my dad this was 6 hours after this happened and we both we both thought you know what the heck is going on? That's supposed
1: to be you impossible. Know, American coins are designed specifically not to be able to be magnetized so that they can go in vending machines and, uh, and uh, you yeah. know, uh, right, <laughs> Pepsi. Co- Pepsi so, then, ashamed, so, yeah. then,
2: so then the very last night of, of the, this, this week of incidents, my dad was awakened uh, by this. He just awoke like in the middle of the night, and he saw this wall of blue-white light that was coming from my bedroom. And he was gonna said he's gonna get up and actually look what was going on. And a voice came in in his head and said, Jeffrey, go back to sleep. There's nothing to see here. Everything's, Everything's okay. Yeah. And he went back to sleep. And this all happened in January of nineteen seventy-nine. And and then it then it stopped for a little while.
1: Well, um, Philip, uh Stephen's younger brother, uh the phenomenon seemed to transfer to him for a time. He, uh, when he was 16 years old, so he was, uh, what time, what year would that be? 16 plus, uh,
2: see, he's born in 66, 1982.
1: So in 1982, Philip had three incidents that happened in within a few days of each other. He was sleeping in his bedroom, which, um, was in Sonora, California, and they were kind of out in the woods. And this particular window that he was looking out, um, it had sloped down to a, um, a pond area and then a creek a, a creek, and then a, 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 a hillside went up behind it and it was all thickly wooded there's no way it could have been any road or um, no house road back there at all. and he was sleeping in bed and then these bright he saw these he was wakened by these bright white lights right outside his bedroom window and he stared at him for a moment trying to figure out what it could be um they must have been because it was sloping down from his bedroom. So it was about 40 feet, 30 feet up in the air. And um, and then he suddenly blacks out and doesn't remember anything else from it. And then a couple of nights later, he heard a scrabbling sound on the floor next to him and he, he thought it was one of the cats. And so he reached down to pet the cat and in, instead of a cat, an arm he a, was, hand. a hand rather grabbed him by the arm. It sounds and... like a
0: scary movie, right? You look, you I mean, no, sound... know, yeah.
1: and then he um, blacks out. And then the third night he um, he actually saw a gray, tall gray alien in his room um, right before again blacking out. So that was the first time that we were fairly sure what we were dealing with as far as um, the gray aliens preying on the family. Because you know, you're right. It seems sometimes it sounds like a haunting more than a, say, a, an abduction situation. Well, what did your did,
0: did did your brother feel like it was a positive or, or did it feel negative the experience?
2: My my brother was fairly uh, taciturn and kind of quiet about things. He was a he was a brilliant man when he was alive. He taught calculus on a college level for fun but we think he was
1: traumatized um, deeply he was, by this he,
2: was, he didn't really have uh he never had a real normal relationship as far as like uh you know uh, with, with a woman or, or any a,
1: real normal life no. he, he became a hermit and kind of a miser and uh kind of anti-social person and um later ended up
2: asocial yeah
1: yeah, yeah. he he ended up finally murdering uh his mother with a shotgun and their two cats and then himself and uh, we think that it could have been based in this early trauma, of uh, from the terror of being taken by little men in the night, you know, he, he, set,
2: up, he Jesus, set up. I'm sorry to
0: hear that. That's, that's, that's that terrible. was just
2: recently. It was, yeah, 2007. it was 2017. It was he, set up, he set up cameras, both inside and outside the house. He became very, very paranoid. paranoid and... This happened about, you know, not long after my dad had died from cancer. Mm-hmm. My dad was my best friend. You know, we, we grew up working together and, uh, so it it hit hit the whole family really hard especially him especially
1: philip too yeah Uh, and we think it may have unbalanced his mind it was like kind of the last straw he was
2: he was starting to hear things clear audience type of things he was he was starting to blame different people for things yeah like i've i've had clear audience my whole life like i've i've had for instance like if i really get relaxed i'm start starting to go to sleep I will frequently, not recently, last couple of years, not, but I would be, I used to be awakened by three distinct knocks on the wall right. behind my head, just uh, basically somebody going knock, 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 or I would be awakened, or I, I would be, I would hear the sound of like a door being slammed, or a mirror being broken, or sometimes hear another person's voice, or hear a musical instrument.
1: Yes, it seemed like in S- Stephen's case. That they, wh- whoever was preying on the family, it seemed like they were just waiting right beyond the veil for him to enter the astral state. And then they would, he, he, re- he suffered all kinds of harassment. Uh, we were actually doing some work, um, meditation work and uh, chanting work uh, to raise Kundalini energies and to uh, open our chakras up. And when we were doing that work, I, we both started astral projecting a lot more and for me it was always fun but for him there would always be something on the other side of in the astral world waiting there to prey on him frequently uh, frequently he'd be attacked or harassed or he'd have um feelings of suffocation um for me the astral thing was fun you know i took i used it to go scuba diving and uh, i tripped to uh, you know as uh, egypt one time to see the uh, pyramids and uh, you know, and mostly it was a positive experience for me, but for Steven, it was almost like he was, um, still being preyed on by whatever was, uh, harassing the family.
0: So, so, see, <clears throat> so, I mean, how much of it do you think it was like mental health or like a de- degrade, like a degradation of, mental <laughs> health or, you know, like, and how much of it do you think was this? I can
2: tell you one thing. I'll be very honest with you at this time in my, that time Philip, in my life. I mean the... Oh, Philip.
0: Yeah 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 oh, your brother friend. your brother not you.
2: Okay. Yeah my 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 brother um That's hard Like to say was he before. ever
0: diagnosed with like schizophrenia or bipolar no, or anything? No, he no. had
2: he had he had fibromyalgia, that's all. But and, uh, he was he was he was he was an engineer and a draftsman.
1: And he had diabetes at the end of his life, quite bad. Toward the end of his life, diabetes yes. He had and he had pain. a very
2: bad case with diabetes. I I do know that he became he became paranoid and he would uh, he's the type of person who would sit back in a room and he would watch you and kind of from the standpoint of like trying to find out he would form opinions about people and about you know family members and he was um he was judgmental i would say that about him and he became paranoid he he set up cameras like toward the before yes. he died he had cameras set up because he thought that i was actually living on the property, which was 540 miles away,
1: and sneaking and, in and sneaking stealing in, things and stealing you know, coffee. He had. He went you know, into so. a definitely paranoid, uh, yeah, he uh, st- right sure. before death. He started, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's possible. NFL I mean, started, I, I've yeah. you know,
0: it's possible for pretty much anybody in a very super emotional and stressful uh, situation mm-hmm. to enter psychosis, whether there's something underlying mm-hmm. that or not. You know, like it's definitely something that can happen. Mm-hmm.
2: And he wasn't he wasn't sleeping because my mom was a 24-7 yeah. uh he was basically the he was caretaker, taking care of her and stuff yeah. but he was a caretaker for her because she had advanced arthritis and also parkinson's, advanced yeah. parkinson's so and she, he was well he i mean was, i'm
0: sorry i'm that's that's terrible how all that uh unfolded there that's uh it's yeah. definitely he, a he was harassed
1: there. by these uh, by some weird things too in his life he uh he told me one time we were visiting and he told me that the night before he saw these this orb it was about uh, this big about the size of a softball a red so. orb a red orb and it was uh, moving up and down uh his deck up like three feet in the air up and down the deck
2: this was a different house again, a different by
1: the way. He, it was one of the houses he built when he was kind of trying to be alone in the in the woods you know <laughs> and um he said that he finally went out to kind of confront the orb. He had been seeing it up and down the, um, the deck for a few nights in a row. And he went outside to kind of just stand there and confront it. And it rushed him <laughs> and, it, and went through him, he said. It hit him in the chest and went out the back of his neck, he said. And um, he said this happened just to him the night before. And I looked at the back of his neck and sure enough, there was a bruise about that big on the back of his neck um where he said it had come out and
2: uh and this and this phenomena wasn't limited to my family too uh my my uncle who's married to my mom's sister so um, he was stationed he was in the uh, royal air force right after world war Two, and he was stationed in Ceylon, which is now sri lanka and he was awakened in the middle of the night they were like stationed they were like billeted in these like these large tents that you know we have like for like 40 40 people like in the military and he was awake in the middle of the night by this tall figure and it said to him he immediately recognized that this must be the family spirit guide okay so he's not a shaw he's a griffiths right but he's married into the Shaw's, right <laughs> and this this tall figure said you need to leave right now because there's a raid coming through you're going to be killed and so the figure then disappears and he figured, okay, I better take this seriously because, you know, I've, I've heard about people that met old Glegley and you take him seriously. So he got up, he got out of the tent and sure enough, a rate a raiding party came through and several people were either knife to death or shot in his mostly, barracks, it, was, it mostly yeah. was, it was, it was, it was close in contact. It was, it was, it was knives and, you know, weapons such as that. But he, he told me about this story a couple times when I was growing up as a young man and, uh, he took it seriously. I mean, my, my mom, I, I've seen things my mom wrote, uh, automatic writing-wise, that there, there's no way she could have known that stuff about certain people. In fact, she told me. Yeah, she when had I was, premonitions of when I people, was, people well,
1: having died, and then we'd, they'd they find out three they days weren't, later. They you know? weren't, they
2: weren't <laughs> even premonitions. She would write it down. I
1: mean, automatic writing she, messages. Would, she would go into yeah, a trance.
2: I remember her picking me up. When I was nine years old from elementary school and she was in tears I mean really in tears and I said mommy what's wrong She said my mother just died and I said well oh, how do you know that they, did they get a call I says no Um, O'Glegley, you know I went into a trance and I did automatic writing and I was told my mother had just died and it was about two days later we got a call from England saying you know uh, i'm sorry to tell you but your mother has just died
1: and then she did it for your your uh grandfather my harry, grandfather right?
2: grandfather harry roman died in 1978. and, and then
1: it, a couple of years later uncle clifford uncle she was clifford. told the same way
2: yes and always contacted she knew she knew beforehand and she wrote it down and she would go into a trance and she just wrote just wrote it down
1: physical like I said, evidence they're a, they're a psychic bunch and steven's sister who uh is his only living uh Relative. Immediate family relative now, she's a ghost hunter in Northern England. She's there sensitive, the She's know. got a website. You know, she Jonathan yes. Sinclair and Karen
2: Sinclair.
1: Ghostly locations is her, uh, her yeah. Instagram okay. and, and Yeah, so if you're content. interested in
0: ghosts, go check that out. Uh, there's Indeed. a bunch of stuff I want to unpack from Stephen sure. going through all those experiences. So first, um, and I'll just tell you what I want. To reference but the the little beans jumping on you you said when you were you know a
2: single being
0: single oh a single bean. okay yeah. um and then um so this this spirit guide explain the concept of like a spirit guide because i don't think everybody knows i've actually i've kind of heard of it before but i've never heard anybody like go in depth about like a like a is that just like a like a guardian angel type thing but
2: the way the paranormal way was- or the way, the way that it was explained to me was that was basically a family protector. So you could call you, some people call maybe like a, a, a guardian angel. That is certainly apropos, but uh, old Glegley would show up when people were in trouble or a person was close to death or, or whatnot. And it was just something that I grew up with as being just accepted that, yes. that we have this Protector or this family spirit guide, not necessarily negative or just basically like a helper.
1: And we, have, and, we have and actually,
2: a, actually, actually Old in the Tunisian, apparently, my uncle found out at some point it means my friend. So, so, yeah,
0: I mean, when I heard the name initially, I thought of like a Tunisian. sailor with like a cob pipe and like a, you know, like no, a fisherman's somebody, sweater man. or something, you know. Um, so. So we're talking about this this bean or whatever. Now, yes. um, has anybody ever did anybody ever actually see this bean or is it just like a presence oh, yes, that's there? Yes. Okay. Oh
2: no no this no several people have seen it. My my grandmother yes. had seen. Seen old Glegly. Uh, my my uh, uncle had seen old Glegley and I I know my grandparents, great grandparents have seen old Glegley. And he we would, think he this thing just...
1: Steven saw the the electric being was yes. may have been was, another would, variety of him. You know
2: he was always described to me as being a tall black man dressed in a red fez. Okay, this is how it was described to me. So when this blue entity. Uh, that filled the room with blue white lights when it entered there and, and paralyzed me though I was thinking, oh Glegley, but but that's not how he was described to he me. He didn't
1: appear that way to him. He yeah. certainly
2: was tall. It certainly was tall and slender. Like Yeah, would you say but... it was
0: more of like a gray alien looking character? I'd a... say
2: uh, yeah the eyes the eyes were, were bigger, but it certainly yeah. was not a tall, slender black man in a red fez, I can tell you that. So
1: <laughs> and at, at that,
2: at that time of my life, I, I didn't have any, any, uh, sexual relations. I was very pure, hardly drinking any alcohol, no drugs, uh, exercising every day, working hard. I was in, you know, in tip top shape, playing Military music, shape, yeah. <laughs> playing music all the time. So it was, it was a time in my life where there were no drugs, no alcohol, well, barely but we, one beer think... a month, but maybe.
1: We think that um, they tend to target the fittest member of the family. In our in our research, we we quickly discovered that the alien abduction phenomenon was not. Um, it was the uh, facts and the theories were not aligning. The theories were that they just were the aliens are curious about us and they just wanted to take a cross section of sampling of of DNA uh, and genetics, uh, material. But what we discovered is that that's not what was happening. Uh, instead uh, the, they will target a specific, uh, strain of DNA. And once they find it that they like that matches their criteria, they will prey on that on, for, uh, they'll take the same person again and again, and again, all through their lives. And then they'll start taking their, their, uh, children and their grandchildren. So it tends to be where they're harvesting a product from a certain genetic line that they like. It,
2: it certainly appears so like they are harvesting.
0: More is of this product. so? Again, I'm sorry, I did because I did not read your book. Is this under the assumption that they have some sort of hand in our creation or our evolution? Or I mean, is this kind yes. of okay? So, it, possible, if sure. that's if that's the case, then if they created us, then why would they ever need anything? from us not
2: create not not created as well help us us along we put it that help us let's just
0: say that's let's just say a gray mated with a neanderthal or a Denisovit or something like that Mm -hmm. if that if that was the case then again like why would they still need anything from us if you do you get what i'm saying like they have everything they're aliens you know they they we
1: they we think they what they need from us is um All right. Well, then our our theories are that they are cousins of ours, that they are actually a branch of the Caucasian race that separated from us thousands of years ago. And um, so we believe that they live in mostly underground bases, but they're also uh, scattered around our solar system as well. Um, uh, we think they are in the, b- the bases on Mars and the other side of the moon and also the moon of Phobos, the uh, uh, one of Mars. So we think they separated from us thousands of years ago and mostly uh, are in underground cities here on the planet. So they may have become less viable. Their, their species may be less viable living underground and they may be taking the genetics uh, primarily of Caucasian, uh, the abduction phenomenon is 95% Caucasian phenomenon.
2: According to some, yes.
1: uh, well, yeah. According to, uh, professor Jacobs, the, is, uh, one of the big sources for our information. Uh, he's written four books and done 10,000 regressions. Um, and he's also our source for the, uh, the abduction phenomenon where they're, they're taking women and impregnating them. And then four months later, they take the woman again and, t- and steal the fetus and then um, sometimes years later, the woman will be taken again and introduced to her hybrid offspring. So uh, of the 10,000 regressions that Professor Jacobs did, he found 1,100 women that that testified to this exact phenomenon. And uh, there's been some, some corroborating evidence where the woman will have an ultrasound before it happens. And then after it happens, the doctors are stunned because the womb is completely vacuumed out. They take the placenta and everything with it. it it's it like ap- they're never pregnant at all. Right. Exactly. And um, we believe that this hybrid I mean, is there any physical
0: program, evidence like why? Why isn't this? I mean, I know I've heard people talk about it, but like why? So like. I don't know about the the whole race thing. I don't ever dive into that because I don't think it has anything to do with it. But again, it's your book, your theories. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then I
1: mean, they're just taking Caucasians because it happens to be a branch of the. But Caucasian so so race. that
0: sounds so. You're saying like a, like a. I'm trying to think like a like Atlantis or like some sort of breakaway civilization, as they call. It. I think Tom DeLonge was pushing that for a while. The idea yes, that like humans.
1: Takeaway civilization Well, you know
2: Plato talked about you know that 9,000 years before him and he talked about exactly where he said this is where Atlantis was and yeah. it looks like it was near the pillars of Hercules and actually the just uh, right
1: where it's supposed to be yeah <laughs> the uh
2: the uh the Do- Don Yana
1: Doniana, uh, uh, bird sanctuary up the coast of Spain it's got everything
2: that you're supposed to have there according yeah. to Lidar it's got the concentric rings it's got the canals mm-hmm. it's like just like you know like Troy Homer talked about Troy this is where Troy is it took the gods. A guy who said, Okay, I'm just gonna read this is where it's supposed to this. be. <laughs> okay, and guess what? He found it. Same thing with Ur, yeah, you know, the city of Ur is supposed to be right where it's supposed to be, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> and uh, Plato was saying that Atlantis is just next to the pillars of Hercules, and that we know those to be the um, Strait of Gibraltar, Strait of
2: Gibraltar, yeah. And
1: um, sure enough, just up the coast is um, the Doniana uh, bird sanctuary, it's an enormous delta that used to have an island in the middle of it I and mean, that island is now sunken and uh, when they did lighter on it they found like I said, Stephen said concentric rings, but also out in the out in the ocean just outside the delta there's a lot of debris on the ocean floor that looked like a stone city was dragged out into the ocean by a tsunami of some kind and the, and if. Uh, if our s- uh, supposition is correct that um, a tsunami took Atlantis out um, and it, that it was um, due to a meteor strike or an a- asteroid strike, uh, then certainly any city on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean would have been at ground zero for a tsunami destroying it.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm going to push back a little bit on the race thing. Obviously, um so like there's shamanic cultures throughout the entire world all races colors creeds that all have people that get taken by little people and so it's not just i don't know where you're getting the numbers for like the caucasian thing but like that there's i can pull up evidence from across the world of people being taken by beings in these shamanic states and cultures and things like that so i don't
1: Yes, I, we got our numbers from uh, Linda Moulton Howe is the one who proposed that it's about a nine out of 10 uh, Caucasian phenomenon. But then we then we looked up some different uh, different uh, uh, case case studies, and uh, one of them was 94.6%.
2: It really depends uh, on who you look at. You know, it, it sounded a little sketchy to me when I when I saw that figures being that high too.
1: But the f- the five percent. So what we're is, saying is the aliens are 5% racist, is, still is what a we're bunch saying. Of
2: people. <laughs> oh, aliens are not racist, but I think that they. It's, no, they're it's just a ne- after a specific a nece- type. Of I DNA. think it's a necessity type of thing. Yeah. you know? so I think it's a necessity. They need us because they literally we are something. They, in other words, they live here. Okay, and as we know, right. we know about the Foo Fighters during World War Two and all the stuff that happened after the a-bomb and and all that kind of stuff we you know, think the... they're
1: particularly afraid of the, our nukes and which is why they're dogging our military every time we they go out on maneuvers they're particularly afraid of our nukes because they're also yes. vulnerable to them they if they share like we, if as we surmise they share the planet with us and um are living in underground cities on underground bases they're just as much at risk of being killed by our by if we destroy the planet with our nukes it would uh, it would kill them as well. So, I think that's the reason that they're dogging our military everywhere they go yeah. is they're keeping tabs on. Yeah, them.
2: Graves and Fravor and Grush yeah. they all said the same thing this summer, uh, during the congressional uh, the group uh, hearings. hearings. Yes. They said, listen, everywhere we go. You know, whether it's West Coast or East Coast, this all includes, around the world includes the Chinese and the Russians. That when if it's like a nuclear sub or or an aircraft carrier or whatever, they're being that followed. They're being followed. This is something they talk about ten thousand. It's more like a hundred to two hundred thousand times a year. They're really actually being seen. So yes, they we, have a lot of skin in the game.
1: We know that the report sightings are reported about ten thousand times per year every year, uh, worldwide. And uh, we we surmise that the uh, reporting is actually only about ten percent. So that was another thing that just wasn't lining up with uh, facts and and theory was that these things are being seen about a hundred thousand times a year, and that doesn't sound like they're coming from distant star systems. That sounds like they're they're and we see yeah. I've I've read so many reports, Mike, where. Uh, people see ufos coming up out of lakes or up out of the ocean or up out of volcanoes or up out of this or out of the sides of holes in mountains or uh, out of the sides of holes in mesas and ridges and uh so many times you hear uh that they're coming up from the ground or up from the water Uh, like not they're not coming down from outer space you know people aren't and people also seeing the mass the vast majority of them are moving just horizontally in our airspace from one place to another like we do when we're going from Pittsburgh to Alaska you know we're moving horizontally in the airspace
2: yeah not all the time but yeah
1: it, it just seemed that it you never, hardly ever hear them coming from straight up and down, right? They're not, <laughs> they're not coming from the outside. They're coming from the here, from the inside. And um, we heard. and know it's true that we we don't. We'd love to have more uh, solid, concrete proof. Proof is thin on the ground because you know basically the government is fighting us every step of the way. They've been lying to us for 80 straight years about this phenomenon, telling us, oh, it's swamp gas or mass hysteria or, um, you know, anything except misidentified <laughs> yeah. aircraft, right, or, or weather balloons or something like that. And then finally, in 2017, Luis Elizondo releases the four videos, or I'm sorry, the three, three the videos, videos Tic Tac, go, go Fast, fast and Gimble. And you know we expected the Department of Defense to just say the same thing. Oh, it's it's all bull. It's not true. And then to all our shock, (laughs) all our collective jaws dropped when the DoD admitted to us that these things are real and uh, they're. They're in our airspace. They're pretending like they don't know what they are. So they're still kind of lying to us because we know they know what they are because they, they have crashed ships and they have alien bodies. You know, as uh, as they said in the uh, the the Grush was telling us in the in the hearing recently, our evidence points to exactly the same, and uh, we know about where they. Th- we think we know where they're taking the fetuses because we heard about the uh, the Dulce papers. The Dulce uh, Air Force Base in um, New Mexico, it's an underground base that's supposed to be part military, part alien. I know it sounds odd, but, <laughs> but it's really supposed to be true. And the top five levels are just human occupation. And the bottom two levels are supposed to be alien slash upper echelon military. Um, and um, one time, a security guard went down in the lower levels when he wasn't supposed to, but he did, and he spotted hundreds of these vats that have, um, you know, he had he had little drawings he made of them, and they look like he said they're little alien hybrids, uh, or gray aliens, or alien hybrids were being grown in these vats. So that's where we think they're taking the fetuses when they take them, and. um, I believe that the whole abduction phenomenon might be an attempt to integrate into our civilization to get what they really want, which is to get us to give up our nuclear weapons. I think that's their primary motivation and what they're up to. Like in our book, I promise who they are, who they are, they're uh, close cousins to us. What they're up to, they're living under our feet and trying to uh, get us to give up our nukes Save the planet.
0: (laughs) So, okay. Um, Let's get back to some of the experience stuff. Sure. Your experiences, your UFO sightings, things like that. Um, As far as all the stuff you just mentioned, a lot of that stuff's controversial. The Dulce, the genetic stuff all right. that stuff's very very controversial be, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna lie i don't agree with all it way. but like that's yeah. that's what mind escape is it's it's a conversation with yeah, you know sure. not we're not always gonna agree um on what's going on with that stuff i right. think some of that stuff's way too far out there for me but at the same time um it's like fine. i like i told like i told you from be, you know before the episode like i definitely think there's something to the phenomena i definitely think there's something to the paranormal stuff and i definitely think that there's something to um you know this connection between the metaphysical whether it's angels or entities or whatever something like that so Mm -hmm. um you know we have common ground there like i said i don't agree with you on the other stuff but we can continue this conversation let's push it towards the experiences now i'd
1: like to talk about my first ufo that would okay yeah let's (laughs) let's
0: let's hear your ufo sighting
1: um when i when I met Stephen and he was telling me about his experiences as a dutiful wife, i um I did my best to believe him. But you know how it is when you don't see it yourself, you can maybe only believe about ninety five percent. And so I was about ninety five percent believing him when one night we were driving home of uh, two thousand and five in January, from uh, we lived in Yucca Valley at the time, which is next to Joshua Tree. We were driving from Joshua Tree to Yucca Valley. And in the sky above us was a bright white light, and um, in front of the front of us, I could see it through the windshield. And I thought at first maybe it was a plane flying into Palm Springs Airport or something. But then, as I stared at it, I realized it—it it didn't have any running lights, you know, those those other blinky lights that are uh, always with planes. Yeah,
2: because Palm Springs Airport's close by, so we first we first thought it was maybe an airplane.
1: Yeah, but then it just was a white globe, a, a white round light. And um, it seemed also like it was just hovering. It didn't seem to be moving and uh, it was growing slightly, but that's because we were hurtling towards it in a car at some 65 miles an hour. And uh, then as we're staring at it, it, sh- it took off north and was gone over the northern horizon. It took off in a huge streak and then was gone. It had to be less than a quarter of a second. It was so fast. It, it, um, I, I've tried to guess at the speed and I, I've always put it at multiple thousands of miles an hour, maybe 20,000 miles an hour. And yeah. uh, it took off at full speed too. It didn't like ramp up to that speed, just instantaneously moving at thousands of miles an hour and poof, over, gone over the horizon. And um, I had to believe it at first, but right there is when I suddenly believed Stephen 100%. And um and then his his second UFO um was all, a USO yes off the coast of Malibu.
2: yes, this was during this is during October of 2004 I was watching the Yankees and the Boston Red Sox play in the playoffs at the charthouse, which is right on the coast of Malibu and Malibu is also another hotspot, which we later found out about but anyways after dinner I Asked the valet to get my car, and he got my car for me, and we just were like, you know, I was tipping him, whatever, and we happened to see this this white UFO come out of the ocean, and just kind of hover there for a bit, and then just take off going up the coast to the north, and we both looked at each other, and he said, "Did you see that?" I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw that." I said, "Yes," uh, so we just thought, "Okay, we saw a UFO." All right, so this was this was before we were even thinking about writing the book but you know what leslie hasn't said is that you know as far as her believing me about 95 i i i didn't share a whole bunch of my early stuff <laughs> with her um that kind of came a little bit later because i thought she would think that was just kind of kind of weird about this old Glegley thing and and all this you know things i i have had an experience though you talk about angels and maybe uh, spirit guides and family protectors. I had this one uh, episode happen to me on April 1st, 1992. I was at the beach with my ex-wife, uh, Nicholas Canyon, which is about 15 miles north of Malibu. And I re- I went swimming. It was cold. It was April 1st. Pacific Ocean is cold. Okay, So I decided to go and do some body surfing because I used to love doing that as a kid. So I, I went out. In the ocean, there are a couple other guys out there that were doing body surfing, riding the waves in. And, you know, I was having fun. And then I kind of got out a little bit further and they did too. And then then all of a sudden they decided to go in and, uh, you know, I like could see that they're, they're swimming in. And so I said, you know what, maybe I should swim in too. I'm about 7,500 feet out, whatever. And then I realized as I'm swimming in that I'm not making any headway. That I'm swimming, but I'm not getting any closer. In fact, I'm going out a bit. I realized, oh, I must be in a riptide or something. And I but at that point my arms, which is the only time in my life I've ever had this happen, my arms start to turn to lead. It was the water was in the fifties, you know, so the water and I didn't have a wetsuit on. So I just realized that, oh my God, you know, I can't move my arms anymore. I can barely move my arms. And I said, Oh crap, I, I'm gonna die. So anyways, I caught I, I I I looked towards the shore and there was this um lifeguard tower and i could see a lifeguard there who was kind of flirting with a couple of girls and you know this is this is like far back on the beach so there's maybe 125 150 feet that are separating us right and so i yell help and then he didn't hear me because of the waves and i yell help again a little louder then i said okay you got to give it all you got and i yelled and i got one of my arms up and i yelled help mm-hmm. and then he finally noticed me and then i go down right after i do that i can't keep myself up anymore i just go straight down and i'm and i'm, I'm looking up and I said you know i'm holding my breath and thinking oh i'm seeing the light type of thing you know the bright sun is looking like i'm seeing the light as they say it and i thinking, oh this isn't going to be so bad you know i'm, I'm about like within a second or maybe two of like taking that gulp, you know, of water. And this hand miraculously just reaches down by six, you know, I'm down six feet, right? Somehow he finds me in in the middle of waves that are crashing.
1: After 125 feet of distance. Too, yes, you know? <laughs> in, in, in
2: literally a second or two. And he, he, he gets me. He finds me first time and he puts me in the, like the crawl type position where they put their arm around your neck and, like choke and he thing, said, yeah. he said, just relax or, you know, I'll take care of you. I'll, you know, whatever. And my arms are still just dead. And I, I stumble out of, I stumble out of, out of the, uh, ocean onto, onto the, uh, the beach and my ex-wife like typical wasn't sympathetic at all. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, and that I, 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 wanna, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to like thank the guy you know because you know number one he, he saved my life because i was dead and he's just gone just gone like he never even was there you know says you know what lifeguard okay all right all right i can tell you for for god's honest fact that there are guardians and there are people I've, i had another one happen to when i was trying to push a car by myself to get it into a uh into a uh 76 station and i was suffering because i have a heart aneurysm and i was trying to push this car this truck myself and of the middle of nowhere in the middle of the day this guy this white guy with these crazy eyes opens the side door of my of my truck and says ramming speed captain <laughs> and we both push it together and we push it like about like the 50 or 60 feet into the into the uh the gas station and i'm, I'm puffing and puffing because i was trying to do it myself and i say i, I, I turn around to like say thank you guy and he's gone <laughs> he's just gone i look and say did he run away did he did he get in a car you know you know he's not here and he's he just gone but he had this, he had this wild look in his eyes, like you know, and he said the oddest thing I said he said, he said, looked at me, straight in my eyes He said, ramming speed, Captain, And we will push the damn my truck <laughs> and, 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 to get gas. I swear, uh, like I say, I th- these things have happened to me so many times, different variations happened to me and my family that I almost take it for granted. You
0: know, Did you ever see anything an when you were in the military? Thing.
2: When I was in the military, no. I, the only thing I saw when I was in the military was after the military. I saw the um, the black helicopters that uh, basically were soundless. They don't make any sound. I know that they exist because I've seen them. Uh, I've seen them with seven other people.
1: Yeah, um, they, went, they circled around the
2: this giant rock this
1: campground they were at.
2: In Johnson Valley. It was The only reason we knew they were there is because they were back, backlit by a full moon. This is like two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight, something like that. And we think you know, that's
1: alien technology you, that they've been you reverse not, engineering. <laughs> they
2: were like two hundred feet above us and you would not even know they were there. It was it was a dark night or the moon wasn't up. You would have no clue. And they they, they went they they came from the twenty nine Palms military base, which I have worked on and done done duty on, so I know it very well. And then they circle around giant rock. And then they went right back. And the only reason we know that they were there is because of the full moon. So we do have we do have some. Yeah, doesn't technology. it feel
0: like there's more sightings in the west and southwest? Because I mean, I'm in the Detroit area, and yeah, there's a lot in Michigan. Uh, some people think that the correlations water. You know, you can go anyway with that, but um, it does seem like a disproportionate amount of these sightings are in the west, primarily where these military bases and installations yes and we have
1: else. area 51 oh, of course yeah, is a you, hotbed of ufo activity and
0: you guys got the hudson bay in
2: virginia on your on your end too and and also the uh lower part of michigan lake michigan
1: apparently. Lake michigan but, is actually there was a famous sighting um was it 86 or 84? I think it was 86. There's um,
0: a, the one that from Unsolved Mysteries from 94 where the was it people from across the, the whole state saw. Uh, yeah, they yeah. started
1: calling in. There's like 300 calls to the police. They say, you know, there's a UFO in my backyard. And and uh, I, I know this is going to be another weird one, uh, but I've heard of two scenarios uh, in this situation where... One of the, during that incident, uh, there was a couple on the beach and they, we were looking out over the lake and um, they saw one of these UFOs. It looked like it was sucking water up into the UFO from the lake. And I've heard of another incident where, um, a man in Peru, he had a, a, a ranch with a, a small lake on it that he used to feed his, uh, I mean, water his, uh, his livestock. And he testified to a UFO came over the lake and sucked up all the water and stole it. And um, he went to the media hoping to get some help for his stolen lake. You know, he he's trying to get them to give it back, you know, cause he didn't have any, uh, that was his way of watering his, his uh, livestock and the other ranchers around. Um, and I think they may, like I said before, I, I think they're, they're in bases here on the, in the uh, earth. And I think once in a while they have to go on a fresh water run, you know. Whatever, yeah. And so, why Lake Michigan is is a great source of uh, giant source of red uh, fresh water, and um, so that's one of the ideas I've got is that they once in a while have to do a, a water run. It may and, be
2: part of their energy source too. We're not sure.
1: Or, or yeah, I
0: mean, actually, fuel. I mean, water is kind of rare in the universe. You know, I mean, we know, yep.
1: and you can make jet fuel out of it, and uh, I mean, you know, rocket fuel. You can out separate
2: of it. it out to make fuel. Of sure. course, yeah. it's
1: got. That's why we're so excited about finding some water on the moon, right? You know, it's, oh, well, there's, there's definitely, there's a definitely
0: ice. I think they're they're up there already tinkering yeah. around with that.
1: Yeah, right. they found a couple of craters where uh, it's it's deep enough where. Uh, moisture is, and, and, and apparently the isn't boiled away by the sun, you know, yeah,
0: and apparently
2: the moon's got a lot of what's called hydrogen three, which is a, like a super energy source so it's replete with that so yes there's a lot of interest like a lot more interest that's why in the moon again, that's why the know? chinese and the chinese and the americans and the russians they're all trying to vie for like who's going to literally like you know like like you know in the old west okay who's going to stake their claim for uh, oklahoma who's going to stake their claim for here they're trying to stake their claim it's like the new the new frontier literally is the moon when you think about it, yes,
1: it's the know. South Pole of the Moon. Yeah, they're kind yeah. of yeah.
0: I mean, there's obviously a lot of tension in the world right now. I mean, I wouldn't that's be surprised. Sure. I mean, obviously, this the UFO technology, assuming that it for sure exists, it would be like the new version of, you know, the atomic bomb or the Manhattan Project in the sense that, like, once that te- technology or that gets out there, um, it's everybody kind of for themselves. All right, so. Yeah. That's, um, mm-hmm. But you know, we live in a different world now, where there's private companies that oversee a lot of these projects. Yeah, uh, as because opposed,
1: they don't
0: have to submit to FOIA requests. <laughs> well, right, <laughs> World War II. I mean, all that stuff was brand new they didn't have you know now we have energy commissions and people to overlook the you know the atomic energy commission and things like that but but that was all oppenheimer you know you need one of these geniuses to come along and kind of facilitate this and it's it might not happen like that anymore because of these private companies you might not know who the next oppenheimer is there might be somebody in private right now you just don't even know about that's like some super genius working on this stuff so Do do
2: do you know this the story behind jimmy carter um you know that the the biggest the, the started, biggest yeah. or the biggest nuclear reactor in the northern hemisphere used to be in Canada. I think it was in it was an Ontario area. Well, anyway, there was like a meltdown that happened, like a uh, like sometime in the 50s, and they had to take this thing apart because it was going to literally be like a Chernobyl, right? And so they had to find somebody that had the ability and the knowledge to be able to figure out a way how to basically unbolt this thing and go in there in suits and it was jimmy carter who came up with the idea and the plan they figured that exposure to the radiation of about a minute and a half was about all you could take and so they they, they did it in groups of people guys in there they'd like turn a bolt take off a bolt and, and it turned out that actually the exposure time was that there was actually having too much exposure um, that they they uh, underestimated that but actually we have Jimmy Carter to, uh, to be thankful for to he's the only guy because he was into 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 the you know in submarine duty and, and nukes and that's kind of stuff he's the one that figured out how to take apart this reactor. That was the first one that basically was like in a, in a near meltdown phase. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know That's important.
1: Of... <laughs> <that's> yeah. <crazy.
0: laughs> that that <laughs> Chernobyl uh, documentary on UFO or um, uh, HBO really highlighted the what radiation can really do. And yeah. there was even a video today. I think I saw on X where. It was a, the live footage of that helicopter that was holding the one part of the core that just fell apart in the air and just fell to the ground when uh, nice. they were trying to clean nice. up Chernobyl. So, yeah, it's it's a brutal, brutal business, um, and that's why I think, you know, you even hear stories, too, ex- of experiencers. Uh, what's the one from, is it Alabama? Um, I forget the name of it, where people had all sorts of radiation radiation three mile island too no no it's not it wasn't it was it was a ufo uh incident where the people ended up having oh yeah uh, oh
1: yes 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 radiation burns yeah uh, i forget think, the name
0: of it but yeah it's uh
1: we think th- uh years thousands of years ago they were and just maybe even hundreds of years ago they were utilizing um rocketry just like we are now because we we hear so many stories in the uh in the past of how. Uh, The prophets would see a fiery chariot come down and land and they'd be taken up into the sky or a fiery dragon like the chinese talk about right the chinese talk about the fiery dragon in the sky so we think
0: do you think that that's like a mind thing though do you think it's like Mm -hmm. an evolution like for instance like we're seeing more technologically advanced things because we're more technologically advanced and back then they didn't have that as like a guiding stone of thought so like do you think that that it's like an evolution of uh, thought type thing
2: Oh yeah, of course. Like for instance, a dragon that maybe, uh, like for instance, like in World War II, you know, they had the Japanese zeros and the you know, United States the Mustangs and the Brits the Spitfires and, uh, you know, they would always like paint and you know put faces on the on the tips of their on the front of their of their uh, fighter uh, jets and that kind of stuff. Not jets; they didn't have jets back then. But, but yeah, I mean, misinterpreted technology and just basically also too as the mind gets. Uh, exposed to more things that are different like for instance yeah if the one commonality we seem to find is that that they they were talking about something that was breeding fire or there was fire coming out of it and lots of times with the sound of a roar or the sound of like thunder coming down things such as that right. uh, Enoch but... talks about it Ezekiel the Huangdi uh the uh, you know the yellow emperor they talk about the same type of stuff
1: and we think that at some point they changed to util- utilizing more nuclear power for their ships and that's why um when people get way too close to ufos they they tend to get these electromagnetic radiation burns um that uh you know, it tends to be indicative of when they get just too close. And, you know, mostly UFOs are always silent. People don't hear anything, except when they get too close, they they hear a, a humming sound that is actually more felt than heard. And uh, if you're that close, you're too close, and you, you could end up being uh, severely burned by their, their technology.
2: Yeah. And, of course, they, they will have uh, evolved their technology, given the, at least in our theory, as far as what we, what we believe, what we wrote in the book, uh, we, you know, obviously right. their technology is also going to improve given, you know, thousands, a few, of, a years. Few thousands <laughs> of years. Yeah. Uh,
1: but like I say, I think that it, it, I don't think we're dealing with wormholes or interdimensional travel here. One of the things I like best about our theory is that it doesn't require theoretical science for it to be the case. A, a wormhole isn't required interdimensional travel isn't required. Einstein, Rosenberg. Uh, yeah. The, the, well, that's another way for, say, a wormhole. Um, even, there's no time travel required. It's just good old fashioned rocketry and um, and good old now good old fashioned nuclear power. We think being very utilized. interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, the idea that's I mean, you hear it, you know, from a lot of the UFO community that these things are coming either from the water or underground or from here or somewhere close and kind of what you're saying. And even, you know, we have some smart people out there now discussing it because it's such, such a popular topic. And those people are like, you know, well, what's going on here because you would need like anti-gravity and we aren't even there yet publicly. So, you know, is that kind of a thing? Right, so right. it's, it's, it, you know, it's definitely something that, I wouldn't rule out is that if there is some other presence, whether it be aliens or entities or interdimensional beings or whatever it is, uh, that they would be here already or somewhere close as opposed to like what you're saying, like traversing, you know, millions of light years of stars or, you know, near Earth planets or Earth-like planets or whatever right. the case may be. But... And,
1: you know, according to Einstein, it may not even be possible to travel faster than the speed of light. According to him, it's not possible. And of course, we're we're open minded to the fact that uh, there are technologies that can be uh, and problems that can be surmounted in our future that maybe we will. Maybe someday there will be faster than light travel but um our our current theory does not require it to be the case
2: <laughs> one thing i one thing i might want to be able to share with you that you might not know about for your audience is that one thing that linda Moulton Howe disclosed was what the actual uh, these spaceships are actually made out of their their uh, their chemical composition out of pieces that have been analyzed using electro microscopy and that kind of stuff the um to, sounds like a we UFO's a over your house. I was going to say, it sounds right like now.
0: a UFO's over your house right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's about the closest a helicopter's gone over our house in a long time.
1: Yeah, sorry. Can't control at, at that. Our, at our
2: other house, it used to be two or three times a day, but not, not here. Yeah,
1: so, he, at, he's any, gone now. So any,
2: anyway, as, as perspective, a human hair is 67 microns in size, so it's pretty small, right? So these pieces that have been analyzed that came from the Roswell crash, the, the few that they have... And this is all laminated material, okay? So it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's difficult to, ma- to manufacture, period. The outer layer is two to 400 microns in size of almost pure zinc and magnesium that are combined together. The inner layer, the second layer is two micron size. This is two microns of absolutely pure bismuth, okay? And then the inner layer is absolutely pure aluminum that is dotted with iridium. And Iridium comes from, you know, uh, you know, meteors and that, such, such as things that, such, such as that. So the pieces that they've been able to gather so far are stuff way beyond what we can do.
1: Yeah. Okay. We can't do it now, let alone in 47, yeah, 1947.
2: So, so there's, that's, you know, that may be some new information that you may not have heard of, but that's, that's what they're made out of. At least the ones in 47.
1: Yep.
0: Well, let's wrap it up here. Um, Thank you both for coming on and sharing. Thanks
1: for having us. I'm sorry your, I went too far out no, on the limb. No, 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 no. You're That's good. You're fringe. good.
0: Like I said, we all have different theories, <laughs> you know, ideas, different things. And um, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm just here to have interesting conversations. And, and it
1: was maybe, great. you
0: know, we open each other's minds up to things. I don't know. but um,
2: Yes, you did. You helped.
0: But, yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. If anybody's interested, you can check out Stephen and Leslie's book. Uh, who, it looks like. Who they are. Uh, the link is down below. I have not read it yet, but I look forward to checking it out. And, uh, yeah. Um, and we're
1: on Instagram at leslie.shaw.author and Facebook as well. And uh, you'll find us on TikTok uh, tic-tac, tic-tac, tic-tac soon. I say that too. <laughs> I say it. it's, it's such this a... It's a Tic Tac on uh, yeah. UFO. I'm always saying Tic Tac. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, then we'll And we're going to get a YouTube channel going eventually as well cool but right now Instagram and Facebook and we have a website it's who they are book.com and we have some excerpts and blogs and um Reals. links to uh in whatever podcast we have we have some links there too and uh yeah stuff like that so thanks again for having us
0: oh no thank you for coming on and like i said i look forward to uh, you know, checking out your book. And uh, yeah, if uh, you guys write something else in the future, whatever, you know, maybe we'll connect and you guys come back on the show. Um, but yeah, thank you for Great. sharing your experiences and your personal experiences. I know that, you know, I know if you've said it enough, maybe it's not a big deal, but I think people sharing these things and these weird things that happen to them is kind of therapeutic, right? In a way, especially if it's got kind of a uh, you know, a negative side to it too. It's so. a, it's a
2: mixed bag, you know, the, my, you know, you kind of relive it. I, I relive it every time because it's, I remember it because it actually happened. So yeah. it's, you know, what the, what's hard for me is, is delving into my brother and his motivations. And that was, you know, when you lose 75% of your family in about three and a half months, Yeah, it was it's weird. a blow. It's a blow, no matter which and, way and you look at
1: it. My father died earlier that year too, and um, we had our our, and our and our dog died. So we were just, it, we were just reeling after the end of that year. But, uh, That's uh, brutal. We're, we're I'm sorry. back from it, it yeah, it was
2: brutal. Whichever way you look at it, yes.
1: Thank you for. All right. Question. Well, yeah, no.
0: Thank you. Thank you both for coming on and uh, check out their stuff again. Links are down below. If you want to support Mind Escape, the best way to do it is to click the Linktree link down below. Uh, also check out our documentary, as within so without, from UFOs to DMT. It's free. It's available on YouTube. There is an extended director's cut with no commercials on our Patreon if you're interested. Um, and yeah, uh, that's it. I, wrote I it think. Down.
1: I want to see it too. Yeah, check it out. Let as me know within, what you think. So without.
0: Um, but yeah, we uh, we love everybody. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.